Bobby Martin. Well, we just put out a podcast uh, with Abby and I, and since we recorded that podcast, um, a lot of crazy shit has gone down. And it all pretty much revolves around Donald Trump. Which I guess shouldn't really be a surprise, but um, there are just so many panicked reactions coming in from all sides right now. Um, And I think what's happening is exciting. And I guess I'm not afraid uh, or like scared about what's happening. Um, I think that the outcome of it is probably going to be good in the long term. There are definitely some negatives about what's happening. Um, but I think primarily, I mean, what, what I see happening that is um, the most satisfying is that we're, we're watching, witnessing the implosion of the Republican Party. Uh, it started after Bush um, it, it continued with the Tea Party, uh, Rand Paul um, and Ted Cruz and some other conservatives helped sort of widen that divide. Um, and then as we got closer to the election, it just seemed like most of them, including Rand Paul, um, had sort of come back over to sort of more of the neocon side, which was the side that they all tried to act like they weren't part of um, back in 2008. And that's when they tried to start their pivot to taxes and sort of libertarian issues that were libertarian issues that were seized by the power establishment and narrowed in on like not paying taxes um uh the free market uh you know and that's how we saw the rise of like how the fox business channel now is basically like an establishment libertarian conservative financial network um that's not to say that they don't also talk about some other libertarian issues. You'll see on the Judge Napolitano show, Lou Dobbs, Kennedy Nation. You'll see them talking about foreign policy libertarian issues sometimes. And, you know, at heart, these people probably think they're libertarians. Um, but I think, you know, if you sort of read libertarianism before this whole wave of Tea Party stuff happened, or if you were familiar with the world of it outside of Ron Paul, um, like from during the Bush administration, because Ron Paul arguably comes from a more paleoconservative sect um, that's kind of like a combination of, uh, you know, libertarianism and, and conservatism. Um, more Pat Buchanan um, than, say, Harry Brown. Um, but, you know, Harry Brown was um, was a uh, libertarian presidential candidate before uh, Bush got into office and during. Um, he died, I think, during the Bush administration. But basically what I'm saying is uh, most of these networks, you won't see anything... Um, that's truly libertarian in the sort of full spectrum anti-imperialism sense. Uh, and you know, if listeners out there are anti-libertarianism, it's totally understandable. Um, we have a lot of listeners who are, um, 
you know, very left-leaning, um, even, you know, Marxist and, and anarchist listeners. And I think that we've forgotten how when the internet was smaller and when there was less political activist momentum in this country or just less movement and activity happening, there was a lot of solidarity between people on the far left and the libertarian uh, side of the, the political spectrum. Um, and that's why at one point you even had Ron Paul and Dennis Kucinich talking about possibly um, linking up as running mates in a presidential election. So I think what's interesting is the establishment, let's just call it the establishment, even though in the past two or three months, I've just noticed that term being so abused and overused by the mainstream, um, which is kind of funny. Now they're starting to use the term. Anderson Cooper used it like five times. I've been watching him on CNN. Now, for a second, this is going to just sound like a totally aimless rant, but I actually have a point to make that's going to take me a while to make, and maybe I'll make it somewhere halfway through the rant. Um, I don't really know. What I do know is that I'm kind of recording this podcast because I'm excited about just how much is shifting right now. I feel like there is a seismic shift of some kind politically happening underneath um, our very feet right now. Um, and this is the most surface level aspect of it is the GOP being extremely alarmed that Donald Trump seems poised to win and sweep Super Tuesday across the board. Um, pretty much everybody is saying it. Now, it's possible that he won't sweep Super Tuesday um, and that Cruz and Rubio and, and Trump will all get sort of a smattering of wins here and there and it'll be a mixed bag. Um, that's not what most of the exit polling is saying. And it's this is not like Bush Kerry 2004 exit polling either. This is like uh, landslide victories in most states. There's only Florida and Texas, I think they're saying, um, that might go for Ted Cruz or Rubio. Um, and even those states, it's still possible Trump might get them. So the reason why I, th I was telling people at the beginning that I'm not afraid and why I don't think you should be afraid is because let's stay just in sort of a present time frame here. What is happening here? What's happening is the implosion of the Republican Party. We already saw the start of it. We saw them try to correct course and sort of contain that energy. They tried to co-op sort of that anti-interventionist, um, interventionist, uh, smaller government energy. And I think that it backfired, completely backfired in them. Um, and th that's what we're seeing now because all of that energy, I think, is sort of subversively, um, maybe in a subtle way that we're not exactly seeing on a surface level, it is going to Donald Trump. So right-wingers who are sort of more Pat Buchanan, Ron Paul types, they're going to vote for Donald Trump. Um, it's very obvious to a lot of those people and people like myself who have been um, paying attention to what the neocons have been doing is that the neocons during Obama, especially the second um, half of his presidency, were already trying to look for someone they could groom to be the next Republican presidential candidate of the United States. 
and the two people they were looking at the most um, were, I would say, uh, Marco Rubio and Tom Cotton. I think maybe early on they realized that Tom Cotton wasn't necessarily presidential material, and he might have had some skeletons in his closet that would come out quicker than some of Marco Rubio's skeletons. And by skeletons, I mean there's a lot of good information out there that both of them might have had a homosexual, you know, gay past um, that they were able to cover up. Uh, Tom Cotton actually might still be going to gay bars and stuff. And of course, that's completely his business to do that. Um, and I have no problem with that. What I have a problem with is both of them running on this family values, um, anti-gay marriage um, uh, bullshit platform. Um, if they're both actually gay, it's, it's fucking um, disgusting that they would uh, be such hypocrites um, basically running against their own um, values that they don't want other people to have the right to get married. Um, but I think that um, when it ended up happening is very quickly, they realized that Tom Cotton would be more just like a pawn for them and would do things such as writing that letter, um, getting all the Republicans to sign it to try to stop the Iran deal that President Obama was trying to make. And he did that. So what's interesting now is uh, I had to just interrupt really quickly because I've been seeing a lot of Bernie Sanders Sanders ads, um, and I'm watching a stream of CNN online. So I'm not sure if it's the exact same stream that's coming off of television, but man, I mean, he must have a decent amount of money in his campaign. I mean, I I literally just saw two normal length uh, commercials for Bernie Sanders running on the last two commercial breaks, one each time. And it's a pretty decent looking ad. And it was mostly just him talking. It wasn't even like a attack ad or like collage really. There's a little bit of B-roll of people hanging out and doing shit. Okay. Fast forward about 24 hours. Today is super Tuesday. 5 p.m. Pacific time. Um, watching a uh, live CNN feed here. Uh, what the fuck's happening? Um, but surprise, surprise. Um, there's all of a sudden a little spike for Marco Rubio uh, in the Super Tuesday polls. Um, the election results as they're coming in in real time um, in Arkansas. Uh, Rubio is um has 30.8% of the vote and Donald Trump 31.4. So my guess is that Rubio will actually win Arkansas because um as some others have suggested and I I forgot who it was and I'm sorry if I can't remember your name um to give you proper credit but someone described Marco Rubio's candidacy right now as kamikaze style and uh it's very accurate because not only is he using all Trump-like rhetoric all of a sudden after the last debate um, by referring to Trump's small hands, alluding to the fact that Trump has a small dick, um, talking about how Trump might have wet his pants, talking about Trump's spray tan, uh, just really dialing up the heat. Um, but he's also uh, a full neocon uh, war mode also. Like, 
it's so clear that he is the neocon candidate and the mainstream media is helping him run flank right now in sort of this emergency zero hour out of panic of a Donald Trump nomination. Uh, and they're panicking so much that super PACs uh, are forming all together some of the same super PAC energy and people who paid donated money to these super PACs from all these other campaigns they're forming together now to run attack ads against Trump. The Emergency Committee for Israel is running attack ads against Trump. Um, the neocons are in full panic mode, and it is beautiful. Uh, and I didn't even say anything yet about Robert Kagan endorsing Hillary Clinton. Uh, I mean, it's it's we are experiencing such a shift right now that literally the neocon... Uh, brainchild of the era that we're living in right now, one of these extremely influential neocons, Robert Kagan, is writing editorials in the Washington Post saying that Trump needs to be stopped and that he will refuse to vote for Trump if he is, an, is the nominee and will be forced to vote for Hillary Clinton. Um, which is not a big surprise at all. Hillary Clinton is a neocon. Uh, she chose Robert Kagan to be in the U.S. State Department during the Obama administration. So uh, this is, it's just so fascinating how somehow uh, they've turned a billionaire, vulgar human being like Donald Trump into somehow uh, some kind of underdog by way of overtly trying to destroy him through every uh, tool that they have at their disposal. Um, there's even a robocall uh, thing going around right now talking about white genocide apparently saying to vote for trump because he'll make america great again basically using you know using that coding make america white again um and while i have no doubt that many white supremacists and racists love trump because he is using coded racism and dog whistling just like every other gop candidate does he's just doing it more effectively um i think that 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 robocall thing might have actually been like a Karl Rove-style push-pull uh, dirty trick in the vein of McCain. Uh, you know, are you okay with voting for McCain if you find out he has an illegitimate black child? That push-pull, um, a lot of people suspected that was Karl Rove that engineered that, that helped Bush win that election in the primaries in 2000. Um, so we are in such an interesting time period right now. A lot of people on the left, I think they are really upset by the fact that Bernie is obviously going to lose these primaries, but they're also starting to get excited, I'm noticing, about the implosion of the GOP. Because, you know, even if you don't stand in solidarity with the left, a lot of people on the right are also furious with the GOP and also want to see them implode. A lot of this is because of them trying to tamp down the Tea Party and them trying to marginalize the Tea Party and co-opt it and shift it all back into their own agenda. None of these sort of hardcore right-wing Republican people, like the voters that I hear talk and you see comment on the internet, like the GOP establishment. I guess it shouldn't be a huge surprise, but that rift is literally causing them to implode. And it's, uh, it's really uh, nice to watch. should be nice to watch for anyone who is sick of political parties and partisanship. Because like I said, there are negatives, obviously, to come out of this. Oh, shit, Texas just got called for Ted Cruz. 
uh, 39% of the vote. So he, I mean, he's going to stay in the race, obviously. Um, Tennessee called for Donald Trump. Alabama called for Donald Trump in a landslide. Georgia called for Donald Trump in a landslide. Um, Arkansas, Donald Trump is still leading 31.6 to Rubio's 30.6. But they're going to have to close that soon. I mean, it's, what is it over there? What time zone are they in? It's Arkansas in Eastern time or, oh, in Oklahoma. Is this an old, no, I guess Oklahoma, Ted Cruz is leading. Wow. So that's interesting because what's happening here is if Ted Cruz wins both Texas and Oklahoma, which I kind of hope he does now instead of, obviously, instead of Rubio, uh, the neocons are going to be even more panicking because the only chance they have right now is Florida and Arkansas. Um, and Arkansas, I already feel like they're going to close that down really quick. So, my God, yeah, this is crazy. Now they're airing a live Hillary Clinton speech on CNN. I mean, what the fuck? Oh, man, her voice is already wrecked. I feel like... uh, I feel like her voice box is going to be totally decimated by the time she's done with this. I mean, I don't know if you've seen some of those videos of her coughing a lot extremely uncomfortable to watch there's a couple videos where she's just coughing can't even get a word out um for like over a minute straight and it's like in front of like a huge live audience and right now i can hear her voice is really fucking strained god she's such a phony asshole I mean, if there's any validity whatsoever to any of the rape, sexual assault allegations against her husband, um, if you can go there and you believe that she helped cover it up for him, I mean, what kind of person does that make her? I mean, I honestly feel like when you're watching House of Cards, they're basing some of those character traits of, um, what the fuck is the lead character's name? I, the the Kevin Spacey uh, uh, character and his wife, those some of their character traits I think come from uh, the Clintons. So there's a I mean there's some other things I wanted to mention though while we're sort of let me go back to this live poll because maybe Arkansas already got cold, called now. Uh, she just said thanks to President Obama. I don't think I've heard her say that very often. That's interesting. God damn it. Donald Trump won 47% of Massachusetts. Holy fuck. Marco Rubio second place, 19%. That's insane. Jesus Christ. Fuck. Well, in Texas, uh, in the Democratic primary, Hillary Clinton got 66% of the vote and Bernie Sanders only got 32. <laughs> what the fuck? Alabama, 
Hillary Clinton got 80.1%. Bernie Sanders only got 15.4%. What? That's weird. Is it because he's a Jew? I, I mean, maybe that's the reason. I don't know. That's I didn't realize that people in the South liked Hillary so much. I mean, especially over Bernie Sanders. That's really strange. Ted Cruz looks so much like Joe McCarthy. I don't remember who, I think I saw Barry Crimmins mention that first, but man, he does look a lot like him. Totally miniature Joe McCarthy. No question about it at all. 100%. 100%. I mean, the one thing CNN has going for it is Jake Tapper is very palatable. I mean, he's probably like one of the best of these types of hosts I've ever seen for this kind of thing. I mean, I actually can handle Anderson Cooper doing this kind of coverage also. It's compared to Fox and MSNBC, it's actually like decent. I mean, there's too much arguing happening on MSNBC and Fox uh, during this kind of shit. But right now on here, I feel like they're definitely pushing for Rubio and Hillary and they don't like Trump, but they're at the same time. I mean, it's, it's a uh, pretty accurate stuff. I mean, most of what they're saying, one of those rare times when CNN is actually doing like halfway decent journalism. It's kind of like how when Obama, um, when it was down to Obama and, um, John McCain, uh, some of the coverage that Fox news was doing, well, I, actually, I take that back. When Obama was president, there were moments where Fox News, in a lot of ways, was doing better journalism than MSNBC or CNN. And, I mean, they were, uh, because they were being more adversarial towards Obama, a lot of it for the wrong reasons, but in some instances, they were doing it for the right reasons. I mean, Fox News actually gave a lot of coverage to the NSA leaks, even compared to CNN and MSNBC, or especially msnbc did you notice how little coverage uh that got on msnbc at first 
Man, the the R logo that they're using on here looks almost identical to the Raytheon logo. I mean, it really, 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 really similar. Has that little shiny, um, like CGI. Why did Robert Kagan write that op-ed? I think it's been about a week since he wrote it. I mean, he, I mean, arguably Republicans, mainstream GOP people, even neocons were already panicking about Trump. You could see it in Bill Kristol's tweets and the stuff he had been writing sort of, you know, in the last few months. Um, he was freaking out. Uh, but I feel like this Robert Kagan editorial right after he wrote it, it just seemed like it snowballed. It started with neocons, and I mostly noticed it on Twitter, uh, all essentially panicking over a potential Trump nomination. And I was thinking, well, that's really interesting. And then I guess I had missed this. The Robert Kagan op-ed, he obtusely essentially endorsed Hillary Clinton, and I didn't even pick that up from the op-ed at first. I just thought he was saying that, you know, we can't have Trump as our nominee. And he was just trying to stop that because there was still a little bit of time left. I mean, you know, this was be a week before Super Tuesday or thereabouts. Um, but since then, um, it has completely snowballed out of control uh, to now several of the mainstream GOP establishment members have been trotted out on television in a coordinated campaign to destroy Donald Trump. And to somehow make this guy look like an underdog and look like he's fighting the establishment. I mean, it's such crazy craziness because it's not really true. This guy's a billionaire. He's not anti-establishment. But the, by the media doing this to him, they're making it feel like he is. And that is such a huge fuck up on their part. They already fucked up, though. The candidates already fucked up by not attacking him on his policy enough earlier. Um, they created this. The GOP fucked up by courting white supremacy for decades and decades. And then all of a sudden, only now pulling out the card of white supremacy associations to try to destroy one of their own so they because they don't want them to get the nomination. It's so desperate. So fucking desperate. Why didn't the GOP do this at another point in time? Do they Are they really concerned about uh, GOP candidates courting literal white supremacists? I mean, not even casual racists who want America to be more white. I'm talking about people who are overtly like white supremacist. Um, GOP voters know that those people vote for them. I mean, I mean, GOP candidates. It's not a secret. All these numbers are crunched behind the scenes and sort of this, you know, the internal game rooms of these uh, political advisors and stuff. They know all this. It's just not talked about. So that's why I'm saying that it's reeks of desperation for them to trot that talking point out now because it's almost like scorched earth. I mean, it really is because this has been a weakness, Achilles heel of the GOP the whole fucking time. They have been courting white supremacists and racists the whole time. And now they're bringing that out as a reason to why we shouldn't vote for Donald Trump. Are you kidding me? That's, they're basically taking a torch to their own party at that point. They've just thrown gasoline on the whole thing and lit the whole thing up. That's how worried they are about what's happening. I mean, I don't care how much you hate Donald Trump, how much you're scared of him. I can understand the first one, that you hate him. 
I don't understand the second one as much, how you'd be more scared of him than all the other war criminals we've had in the presidency, necessarily. Um, but, I mean, he's this is he's doing something that needs to be done. They're fucking destroying their own party now. That's how afraid of him they are. And no, I'm not fucking endorsing the guy, and I never would. And I know some people listening to this would be like, damn, Robbie sounds way too excited about Donald Trump right now. And I admit it, I am. This is an unprecedented event. And I hope this that it goes all the way. I hope that he wins the nomination. And he's clearly going to, unless there's a crazy shift somehow beyond what we're already talking about that's going to make everybody all of a sudden want to vote for Rubio and Cruz. I mean, the problem is the Republican establishment already doesn't trust Cruz. He tried to court the Tea Party too much at the beginning. They tried to co-opt him, and they pretty much did. But he's still too much of a wild card. They know that he could blow in the wind again. Rubio is a complete, absolute, 100% neocon shill. In fact, he just released a seven-point plan for defeating ISIS. I'm not going to go over all the details, but if you read this new seven-point plan that he wrote out as one of his campaign platforms, it's virtually identical to the Institute for the Study of Wars plan for defeating ISIS in a PDF primer they just put out three weeks ago called Defeating ISIS, written by Fred and Kim Kagan, the neocons that a very heavy agenda part three is going to be about. So this guy is absolutely a shill. Um, Ted Cruz is still a horrific, terrible uh, candidate, and he is pretty much a neocon, but he's not completely beholden to them. I mean, there are nuances here. You know, I could put a, I could um, paint a broad brush over all of this and just say they're all neocons or whatever, but there's different degrees of it for sure. And I think this speaks to just how much influence they still have in D.C. While they are panicking and they are freaking out, you have to understand that what they're doing right now is they're changing the nature of this campaign by firing on all cylinders at once against Donald Trump. And it's going to get even more intense. You thought Marco Rubio talking about Trump's dick was as intense as it was going to get, you were wrong. You were totally wrong. Okay? Okay, I like these round table things. Let me, I'm just going to kind of comment while I'm watching. Man, I feel like such a news junkie right now. It's rare for me though, so let me have my fun. Oh, wow. Oh my God. Okay, this is interesting. Paul Beluga is sort of solidifying this this narrative right now, and I'll tell you what this narrative is that I feel like just happened. Uh, is they're essentially saying that, oh, well, Bernie put up a good fight. He had a lot of good rhetoric, and people are accusing Hillary now of stealing Bernie's speeches. But look, I mean, this just shows that Bernie gave it a good try, and now he's coloring the campaign in a more positive way. Because Hillary is now changing her rhetoric, and now she's going more populist and more left. I believe this is the start of a new talking point designed to make it seem like Hillary is genuinely going to be more left after Bernie Sanders somehow pushed her in that direction. 
obviously false. She's just stealing his rhetoric to get more votes because she knows that the closer she gets to him, the more votes she's going to get and the less votes he's going to get. Very smart move on her part. Um, this kind of solidifies that. If they start saying, oh, yeah, Bernie did push her in, in a more positive direction, then it's going to make people who are who hated Hillary, who really wanted Bernie Sanders, just line up behind Hillary because they're, then they're going to get sucked into her rhetoric. And, of course, they're going to be so afraid of Trump that they're going to vote for her. That's how this shit works every time. I feel like there's also a talking point being floated here that, like, partisanship is going to matter less in this election than the candidate that people like the most, which is kind of a weird, it's kind of an odd uh, thing. Oh, wow. Ted Cruz, what, Oklahoma? This is not good for the neocons. So Marco Rubio is maybe maybe they knew he was just going to be the kamikaze. I like how they're not even showing Ben Carson or Ka John Kasich or whatever the fuck however fucking pronounce his name. Holy shit! So where's Arkansas, man? Why is Arkansas taking so goddamn long? This is huge. This is huge. This Oklahoma win is Ted Cruz's third win in this contest. Donald Trump has eight, Ted Cruz has three, everyone else combined has zero. And this is going to buttress his argument that it's time for everyone to consolidate around him, around Ted Cruz, so as to defeat Donald Trump. This is going to be a very forceful argument. And look, and Jeffrey Lord quoted... Like I mean, speaking on behalf strategically, of this is a better play, I think, for them than letting Rubio be the guy, because if it's... Jake Tapper just described the decision between Cruz and Trump as the Republicans having to poison themselves or shoot themselves, which I don't necessarily believe. I mean, Cruz, I think, still has a shitload of support. I don't I don't understand. He seemed to have like a lot of support behind him like a year ago. And then all of a sudden when the when the um, prime or not the primary started, but the GOP candidate selection started and he became a candidate, his popularity seemed to go down. And I never understood it because it didn't. I always thought that, you know, this McCarthy looking little, you know, penguin like man who was stealing all this momentum from the Tea Party, but then also being friendly to the neocons was sort of the perfect combination to win, um, win the GOP nomination. But I guess not. I mean, but he seems like he's in the vote in terms of votes. He's doing fairly well. Um, I mean, especially compared to Rubio, obviously. Oh, God. If it is Dow to Cruz versus Trump, Rubio is going to endorse Cruz, guaranteed. The neocons will tell him that's a good play. Um, it's that dire to them. Um, problem is, Trump is still going to beat Ted Cruz. It's over. I think the only way Trump loses the GOP nomination at this point is if he does something to fuck up his own campaign really bad. Or if someone digs up something crazy about him and it takes float in the media i mean the media is definitely also part of trying to destroy him for sure um and again that's not to say he is any kind of underdog it's just this is what they've chosen to do but i think once he gets this far it's going to obviously be harder for them to because if let's say if he does win the nomination, they're going to have to seem like they're, quote, fair and balanced. They're not going to be able to, like, praise Hillary Clinton and then just only bash him. They're going to have to give him sort of, like, equal time or whatever. 
Can you imagine that? All the sh- coverage he's already getting, all the airtime the sensationalist media is already giving him. Imagine how much more television time Donald Trump, we're going to see of Donald Trump um, if he wins the nomination. Holy shit. Fuck. Um, but I also wanted to mention, uh, so I, I watched this interesting video by the uh, creator of Dilbert. Um, his name is Scott Adams. And uh, Scott, um, if you ever listen to this podcast, I just wanted to apologize because when uh, my sister and I were younger, we used to eat uh, at your restaurant um, that you owned in Pleasanton called Stacy's. Um, it, it was it was an okay restaurant. I, I liked that when, when they changed their menu a few times, I, I they couldn't really find anything to order there anymore. Um, but you guys started off with a great menu that I really enjoyed. Um, I don't even know if the restaurant exists anymore, but I just wanted to formally apologize for writing um, vulgar and prank messages in your logbook that you kept. Uh, it was sort of like a guest, you, you know, people eating there could write their notes and reviews the restaurant. But when I was like 11, you know, age 11 to 15, 16, uh, I used to write uh, nasty things in there sometimes. Um you know, just because, you know, I wanted to fuck with you. So, but I think I just wrote a bunch of shit about how I hated Dilbert or something. And I didn't even actually hate Dilbert that much. My sister, I think, actually dug your animated cartoon version of Dilbert. But we t- I just remember us talking so much shit about Dilbert in this book. Because we knew that y- that you were somehow involved. You owned Stacy's. So we're just like... Man, let's just slam him about Dilbert over and over again, like every time we ate there. So it was kind of just a tradition. I think maybe we even drew like parody cartoons of Dilbert, sort of like critiquing how we didn't like the art in Dilbert and things like that. Um, But anyway, Scott Adams, uh, for a reason, magazine did this interview where he talks about how he thinks Trump is using uh, highly trained neuro-linguistic programming uh, skills. Um, neuro-linguistic programming is just another it's, it's, it's a different specific kind of hypnosis it's one that's often used by people in business in the 80s uh, it used to be very popular it was kind of like culty um, where it's like how to succeed in business how to make a million how to become a millionaire it's just like how to win friends and influence people um, kind of a kind of a thing and Scott Adams um, goes through all these examples of what Trump is doing um, to make a really strong case that Trump is actually trained in neurolinguistic programming and that he has a really good chance of beating everybody because he has a type of training that's not normally used in politics. Or if it is, it's used through a kind of filter that makes it less effective his sort of unfiltered nature makes it so these things, these linguistic skills that he's employing, they hit your reptilian brain. What I see in Trump is a set of skills that are so deep and so exquisite, it would be hard for me to imagine anybody beating him. And so I've uh, predicted he'll go all the way and win the presidency. Donald Trump has a way with words, and 
people. I will be phenomenal to the women. I have many Hispanics working for me, many, many Hispanics. Uh, we're rounding them up in a very humane way, in a very nice way, and they're going to be happy. Vote for me because we're going to make America great again. But the media don't get him, and he doesn't appreciate it. You know, some of the media is among the worst people I've ever met. And I mean a pretty good percentage is really a terrible group of people. Scott Adams, prolific author, blogger, and creator of Dilbert, thinks they're all getting trolled. I'm saying, I see a flamethrower. I think the flamethrower guy wins in the stick fight. Though he doesn't support Trump or any other candidate, he believes that Trump is in fact a master wizard. The idea of the master wizard hypothesis says that there are some people in the world, living people, who are masters of persuasion. They've got a, a linguistic gift for influencing people, and they're using actual technique. What I saw in Trump was someone who was highly trained, and that a lot of the things that the media were reporting as sort of random insults and bluster and just Trump being Trump looked to me like a lot of deep technique that I recognize from the fields of hypnosis and persuasion. So let me give you a few examples of the technique that Trump uses. There's something that I call the linguistic kill shot. And what that is is a engineered set of words that essentially changes an argument or ends it so decisively, I call it a, a kill shot. So one of the ones that uh, Donald Trump used was when he referred to Jeb Bush being a low energy guy. Very, very low energy. So low energy that every time you watch him, you fall asleep. Just, yeah, Donald, you cannot take more energy tonight. I like no. that. Or when he referred to uh, Carly Fiorina as a robot. Like a robot. Ba, ba, ba. Like a robot. Or Carson as nice. Ben is a nice man. He's actually a really nice guy. All of these have the same quality. They're words you haven't heard in the political realm before. So they're sort of virginal words that he can use the way he wants. They don't have a lot of baggage with them. But they also perfectly fit what you are already thinking about these people. They weren't random insults. And once you hear it, you can never get it out of your mind. That's how powerful it is. You notice that he insults people that come at him. I'm telling you, anybody that, that would view it that way has to be a little bit of a deviant. And he also compliments people quite effusively when they're nice, or at least they're not bothering him. I think they like me in a certain way, which is nice. It's always nice to be liked. So what he's done is he's created a fairly large gap between insulting Trump, where he'll take you down, or being nice to him, where he'll take you up. It sounds like you're saying I have leverage over the Republican Party, so they better be nice to me. Well, essentially, I want to be treated fairly. That's true. I, I do want to not nice. You go against him, you know there's a little bit more to lose. And an anchor is something big and visual and emotional that takes you off of whatever you were thinking before just because it's a bigger thought. So, for example, when Trump was in his uh, first debate. You've called women you don't like fat pigs, dogs, slobs, and disgusting animals. That was a terrible thing for him to answer with a direct answer. But he didn't do that. Your Twitter account. Only Rosie several... O'Donnell. Immediately, you go to this big visual. Everybody knows her. His base probably has a negative feeling about her. And all the headlines became about Rosie O'Donnell instead of, is Trump a sexist? I blurted out the name Rosie O'Donnell and the place went crazy. And it really had a big impact on her questioning. Kind of brilliant. He does the same thing with uh, his idea for immigration and for the wall. The wall is this big, visual, magnificent 
thing in your head. It will be a real wall. It'll be a wall that works. It'll actually be a wall that will look good. A big, beautiful, powerful wall. It can have a gate. It can have a door. It can have a tremendous, beautiful, wide open door. Nice big door. Even if you hate it, it's still big and visual, and it takes all the attention in that direction, and that's what he wants. One of the things that Trump does really well is he uses a type of linguistic judo. For example, uh, there was one interviewer who said you're kind of a whiner. Uh, Rich Lowry says that you are uh, the most fabulous whiner uh, in the world. And instead of saying, no, I'm not a whiner, Trump embraced it like judo. He took the force of the label and said, I am a whiner and I'm a whiner and I keep whining and whining until I win. And I'm going to win for the country and I'm going to make our country great again. So he changed whiner into the biggest voice for change. And he did it with just a few words. It's amazing. Likewise, if Trump says anything about capitalism in the context of the Pope, it's just not going to come out right. So instead, Trump doesn't take the bait. What do you say in response to the Pope? I'd say ISIS wants to get you. It's such a big, bold thought. He Italy, talks to you, you about capitalism? That. You scare I, the no, Pope? No, I, I'm going to have to scare the Pope. All your attention just goes to that. He uses vagueness as a tool. Uh, this is a trick I learned in hypnosis class. Sometimes you want to tell a story in a way that lets people fill in the blanks with whatever would make them the happiest. So if Trump has a vague idea about foreign policy... Just like I have the Chinese banks in my buildings, they listen to me, they respect me. Your vague idea about the economy. My economy will expand so rapidly. We're going to take jobs back from other countries. Your vague idea about how to handle ISIS. Uh, I would end ISIS forcefully. People fill in the blanks with brilliant plans that are their own plans. It's more of a strategy than you imagine it is. But he has uh, another thing going for him. He's developed the Trump persona over many years. He can do what nobody can do as a politician. He can change his mind. Raising the Social Security retirement age to 70. Is that still your plan? Yeah, not anymore. He can say, I'm not going to tell you what I'll do. I'll just hire good people to do it. I have the smartest people on Wall Street lined up already. And he also can uh, tell a joke. He can be outrageous. I'm worried if you're president, I'll get deported. All right? That's what no, I'm worried about. Never be. We'll, we'll, we're going to try like hell to keep you here, Bill. You see apple pie and flags and eagles coming out of his ass when he talks. A lot of people ask me what could bring down Donald Trump. Probably there's no defense. And that's why I've predicted he probably will win the presidency based just on skill. I've said that if Trump wins, it might change how we see the world. Not just how we see politics, but how we see humans and how, how humans are influenced and how little reason has anything to do with what we do. And I watched a video that Trump um, from 1987 of Trump on Letterman. And David Letterman asked him, could, could you have done it without your father as, uh, as a support system, uh, both emotionally and financially? Did he help you well, out when you were starting? The emotional was very important. I learned a lot from my father, yeah. more than anything else. I learned a lot. My father was out in sort of a tough business in Brooklyn, Queens, rent control property and various properties. And it wasn't a great business. It was a good business. And he was a solid guy and a bright guy. And I learned a lot from my father. And I think if, in terms of support, that would be the number one thing that I got yeah. from my father. Have you had failures? He doesn't answer the question about financial. He, re he just avoids it. What struck me is he, the repetition of that phrase, I learned a lot from my father. Um, it's very vague. It allows you to fill in the blanks. So even in the, the question was, what kind of emotional support did your father offer you? 
He doesn't even answer that specifically. He just says, I learned a lot from my father. Now, obviously, that's not financial. So he's disconnecting that from the financial. But he's also sort of like making you imagine what that means. Well, you know, that must mean your father is some kind of great man because you're so successful. So you must have learned a lot from him. Um, Kind of a thing like that. It's a very confident and then sort of repetitive answer. And by the last mention of it, he's already sort of told you all this stuff in between. So he says, I learned a lot from my father. I learned a lot from my father. Then goes on to say all this unrelated stuff that's still kind of vague and unspecific, but then sort of ends the sent the uh, paragraph with "I learned a lot from my father." So it's like I think you almost have to see him talk to really understand what I'm talking about because it's a similar technique to what like cold reading, uh, like palm readers use um, to. <laughs> I know how hard he worked on it. I actually know how hard he worked on it. Like throwing shade, saying it twice in a row. It's such a weird, like putting him in his place. Like it's a totally backhanded congratulations. Jesus Christ. Great to be in Florida. It's so great to be at Mar-a-Lago with friends and the press and the media and everybody. I know it was a very tough night for Marco Rubio. He had a tough night, but uh, he worked hard. He spent a lot of money. He is a lightweight, as I've said many times before. But uh, you know what? We're going to go to Florida. 